This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash the dinner party show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'd like to take a moment to congratulate my co-host and producing partner, Christopher Rice. He's got not one, but four new books coming out in 2022. But today, I'd like to tell you about one in particular, a standalone thriller called Decimate. It's the terrifying story of what happens to our kitchen here at the studio when I ask Christopher to make the tea. Yeah, no. When I said improvise the promo, I didn't say you could make shit up. I am not making this up. Look at that kitchen. Okay. Hi, party people. Decimate is actually a thriller about telekinesis and near-death experiences. The page-turning tale of a woman who becomes convinced her brother is being held hostage by a supernatural force following his death in a fiery plane crash. It has nothing to do with tea or our kitchen, and you can pre-order it on Amazon now. And while it is spine-tingling and terrifying, it is nothing compared to what I'm going to have to order off of Amazon to clean up that kitchen. Will you shut up about tea and our kitchen? Oh, I never shut up about tea. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And Eric Shaw Quinn, you were just talking about how much you enjoyed doing this. It really is great to be back in the studio. We've been back for a little bit now, a few episodes um, since early part of the summer. But we were away for a long time doing everything remotely, which I was really thankful we could still do. Mm -hmm. Because... I didn't want to just, you know, drop off the face of the earth for a year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really a bonus. And we had been, you know, the dinner party show was a while ago. Mm-hmm. So we'd been not doing it for a while, even when we came back. So it was kind of a brief return. And then we were remote. And now we're back in the studio. And mm-hmm. I realize how much I missed it. Yeah, I, I really missed it, too. I did not like doing it at home. And I think the re- and I've said this before. I think part of the reason was that if something went wrong, that meant it was probably my fault because I had unplugged something on my computer. And everybody drank. Yes, absolutely. It's about me. Once again, it's all about Christopher. I, you know, I actually was really thankful, and and initially I enjoyed it because it meant, you know, sort of get dressed and go in the other <laughs> room and sit in your favorite chair. But wasn't that the appeal of the early days of the pandemic for a lot of people before yes. we realized how fucking long we yeah. were going to yes. be expected like, to do it? By the yeah. end of it, I was ready to to be done. My um, Bluetooth earbuds actually died the last day that we did it, and I was like, and scene. Yeah. That's enough. I don't ever want to do that again. I hate earbuds. Um, mm. So that's a relief, not to have to do those things again. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, being back in the studio, getting out of the house, seeing you guys. We have been doing this, you and me and Brandon have been doing this for a long time. Almost, yeah. what, 10 years? Longer? I saw something that brought the date home the other day and I was like, oh my God, has it really been that long? I think it was one of those Facebook churns up one of your old posts from 10 years ago and spits it at you to 
make you feel bad about your current weight. About how old you are. <laughs> right, or your current age or your current yeah. weight. Here you are looking cute. What happened? What Love happened? Facebook. Here's this day in history. <laughs> yeah, no. But we started the dinner. If, you, if you're just listening to us and you don't know what we're talking about when we say the dinner party show, uh, we started this as a live internet comedy variety show, which we would stream over our website on Sunday evenings. And the podcasts of those episodes are all available and included sketch comedy, celebrity interviews. And when we came back as Christopher and Eric, we were determined to do something a little leaner and meaner, if you will, with a big true crime focus. And last week, you got a dose of that with True Crime Movie Time. Right. Um, this week, we're going to talk about something that is sort of related to the topics of last week, but it's its own episode. We asked you recently on our Facebook page, and if you haven't been there yet, please go and check us out and be one of our party people. But we asked questions on Wednesday. You have found date verification of this how long is, ago. Well, I, this is at least that long ago. Oh. This is us at Christmas dinner with Brandon in 2012. Yes. December 18th, and I think it was that November. Brandon, our sound genius, is, is a Lego A Lego king. expert, and he recreated our logo in Lego. Brandon, what's the name of the show? Lego Battle, Lego... Lego Masters. Lego Masters, he says. Like he the is voice the, of God. He is the genius behind um, all of the spectacular, the set pieces and the bigger stuff, the, the stuff that contestants aren't building. Brandon builds. Yeah. A, along with a phenomenal collection of Lego stuff that you've ever seen. Anyway, so that's he, 2012. He made a Lego portrait of us. Uh, based on the picture of us from the banner on the website. The website, right. TheDinnerPartyShow.com. And uh, he's presenting it to us at the table at Christmas, I guess it was a Christmas lunch. I guess so. In 2012. I guess so. That's great. So I'm guessing that's the year we started, which means it was a year longer than that. So that means this is the 10th year. You want to know who we heard from recently on the Facebook page? Uh, Jesse Colton was one of our original Dinner oh, Party yeah. Show listeners, and he has sent a series of very nice messages about how he's revisiting those episodes, and it is bringing back very positive memories and inspiring him, and we adore you, Jesse, and we appreciate those messages so yeah, much. One of the things he talked about is something I've always loved, is that people who came together listening to the show and came to the page to talk about the show, the Facebook page... Um, became friends with each other, mm -hmm. even though they lived all over the country and really had never met before. The thing they had in common was the show, and they actually became friends. The, mm -hmm. the core group of the party people was a group of people who were here from the early days and mm -hmm. got to be friends with each other and traveled and came to New Orleans when mm -hmm. we were there for the Prince Lestat Carnation Ball right. and came to... GayCon or whatever the BentCon, it doesn't exist anymore. But we did our only live broadcast from BentCon at the Burbank Marriott, which was grand and it was fun, fun and delightful. Eric and called it GayCon. It was supposed to be a gay comic book convention, and I think GayCon is a perfectly fine name. We should have a GayCon. We should absolutely start our own GayCon. Okay, but back to the subject of today's episode. Oh, what a glare! I My know. I, well, I Such just a look. I got I lost the thread there for a second, so I'm trying to bring myself back in. For a landing. Christopher has remembered what we're talking about. What we're talking about, we ask, we do something called the Wednesday question. And a few uh, months ago, we did a Wednesday question that got a lot of responses. And it sort of ties into a conversation that we had last week, which is what is too much to forgive in a loved one? Last week, we were talking about the Robert Durst case. Yes. And we didn't do a pairing. We watched a movie that was based on the Robert Durst case, which is currently. In the courts in Los Angeles. Here in Los now. Angeles, yeah. Um, we'll see. And there's lots of murders involved. So um, 
We will see how that plays out. But um, the person he's accused of murdering in the case that's happening now was the friend who stuck by him when he allegedly murdered his wife or when his wife went missing. Right. Let's say that. And she seems to maybe have known where the bodies were buried, if, if you will. If you will, yes, exactly. Um, I don't know if she actually knows. I, I can't imagine the body exists. I figure it is in a furnace at one of the um, giant Durst buildings somewhere and mm-hmm. reduced to ashes long ago. But right. I don't think they'll ever find that. But she seemed to have the skinny on what had happened to his wife, and that allegedly is the reason that he murdered her. We will see what how the case, court case turns out, but it's not looking good for Bob. It's not. It's not looking good at all. But this produced a very interesting conversation between the two of us recently when we talked about planning yes. this episode because it was sort of like we're not a couple, but we're very, very close friends, the best of friends. And, you know, if you are a couple and one partner asks the other one, like, how long after I died before you would get together with someone, babe? And it becomes one of those tense conversations. Our version of that was like, what would you lie about to the police for me for? <laughs> it's like, what would I do that was so bad you wouldn't stand by me as a friend? And it was like, oh, I don't, are we going to have this conversation on the actual podcast? And the answer is yes, yes we are. We really are. Because it's a really good question. Like, because there. The sense of what we would do for the people we care about is is different than – it changes the way in which you answer that question. Right. The stuff for which I have patience and tolerance is very different than the stuff that I would put up with from the people I care about, if yeah. that makes sense. I, it doesn't mean I would put up with being abused or something like that, but it does mean that my acceptance of the mistakes of those that I – the people that I love in my life – is its own thing. Mm-hmm. Like if your children came to you and said, Mom, I accidentally ran over somebody with the car and took off because I was scared and they died. You know, like maybe your first instinct would be, well, let's come with me. We're going to take you down to the police station and turn you in. And maybe it would be, let's wait and see what happens. And you would even do other things that might help your kid, oh, no, he was home doing his homework at that time. That can, that car, we reported that car stolen or whatever. I don't know. But all- how far would you go for that child? And I have to say, for me, it would be a really long way if it yeah. was my kid. Yeah. I mean, I you know, it's one of those moments where I think you don't know until you're in it. I, You know, it's like when a woman experiences an unplanned pregnancy. She may have a lot of big proclamations about how she would act in that moment and what she wouldn't wouldn't do. And then that moment comes and you're in it and you're living it. It's like I think it's really hard to tell. And it's really easy to judge before you ever have to deal with it. So I think that hangs over this conversation. But I also think I want to give our party people a little bit of leeway in this discussion because what we asked them was pretty specific, which was what could you forgive in a loved one that you found out about after they were dead? Because we were asking in the context of even a different show that we had watched. Yeah, which we it can, was the yeah. further back. It was even further back. Yeah. It was the Henry Diaz. The Henry Diaz murder, which we 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 did through an episode of a show called. Well, actually, no, we did. I can't remember the name of the show. But what we discovered is that there was another true crime special about it, which completely het washed the fact that Henry Diaz was secretly the perfect gay. murder. One was the het wash. The perfect murder was the het wash the... one. 
and I went and watched it on my own and then came back with this horrified report. But a staple of both, which both presented pretty clearly. Well, actually, no, that's not true. The Het Washed one did not. But the first special made clear that when they discovered the wife and the relatives of Henry discovered that he had been secretly gay after his murder, they completely disavowed him. It seemed like they just totally walked they away. They really turned their backs they, on him. They were done. And so the question we asked our party people was, what would essentially make you done with a loved one. And I'll say there was a sort of trend line to a lot of the responses to spoil it, but child sexual abuse kind of across the board was I would be done. That that is like if you if you molested children, that is just something that is kind of unforgivable in a lot of people's eyes. But our conversation about this issue was different because it went to this place of like, would you lie for me, friend? <laughs> it's like And it was an interesting sort of I had to really think about my own side of it and I I guess you did too. Where where did you land on the the question of well, lying I, for? You know the thing that I the, you never want to say yes to something that's ultimately going to make it worse for the person you love in the long run. And I guess we have to go off of all of these narratives we see in crime shows. And I'm talking about more the scripted ones that we're constantly deluged with, where the message is always. The, the more and sooner you lie, the worse it is for you down I just, the road. There is just no benefit to lying. I just I, – I wouldn't lie for somebody probably pretty much at all. I might not tell every th- fact that I know. I might not rush out to you know, start screaming it from the housetops. But lying at all I think is a self-defeating proposition mm-hmm. because it, it's insupportable. Yeah. Long term, it's just insupportable. There's a point at which it can't go on because it didn't actually happen. Right. Whereas if you don't say anything, okay, well, maybe they find out or whatever, but you, you're you not trying to make something work that didn't happen. You're not trying to create a reality that doesn't exist. Right. And that's not going to do anybody a favor. In any circumstance. The the thing that you brought up in the conversation that I thought was more relevant was abandonment. Yeah. What would cause you to abandon me? And I think that's and an the interesting... the answer is nothing. Yeah. Like, would you go to court? It's not about issuing a public statement about my guilt or innocence. No, but, but would you I go would to be right behind him in the courtroom no matter what the charge was. Yeah. Even if I knew he did it. Yeah. I just... I, I couldn't not do that. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people in my life, not tons, but there are people in my life where that would just be the case. I just, yeah. I don't know how you, I don't know yes, if you feel no, similarly. I feel the same way. I just, I, I would have to. I couldn't, like, I might not agree with people's choices, mm-hmm. but either you love people or you don't. Right. You know, and I, 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 People who deal with like discovering that your son is John Wayne Gacy or whatever, like, so like I don't know how you manage to survive that. Right. I, I can't. I don't know how. The, I think my reaction to something like that would be an inability to process it as real, mm-hmm. because you would have the sense of like, well, surely I would have known this before mm-hmm. now. Like you see these cases of. The husband was keeping a woman prisoner in the basement of the house that she lived in. Right. And she didn't know it. And it's like, really? Mm -hmm. Uh, That's amazing to me, but how devastating for you to come to understand that and not to have known. Right. That, and, but, and that could be over the line. I think when you go to the discovery that my partner was a sadistic serial killer, 
okay, I, that's really in a class by itself. But I love the, I don't love the example, but the appropriate example you brought up is the drunken hit and run or the sober hit and run. Yeah. Someone you love, someone made a terrible split second decision. Now what? <laughs> Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? Okay, well, we've talked a lot about our side of the conversation, and we'll come back to it, but I thought it would be good to get some of our party people responses as well. Yes. Uh, Amy Bellino, one of our favorite and longest party people, says... And our Florida correspondent. Our Florida correspondent, indeed. I don't know that there is anything that would have me hold on to grief and anger enough to make me not forgive a close relative after their death. There are plenty of accommodations I make for my family just to keep the peace in general. I've got a plethora of cousins that are shady as heck, but I see their parents forgive them for their transgressions over and over again. Sometimes <laughs> that is the nicest thing I can say about someone, <laughs> that their mama still loves them. <laughs> yes. Um, Brad Shreve, a fellow podcaster, the uh, Queer Mystery Writers Podcast. I probably got that name wrong, and if I did, Brad, come on the um, Facebook page and let me know. He says, if someone was a member of the Klan or QAnon, that would be unforgivable. I have family members who are bigots or homophobes, but they are of the what-the-hell-whatever-they-want-to-do variety, the sort of mountain libertarian, as I call it. You know, I don't approve of it, but they can do whatever they want. QAnon, that's an interesting twist to the question. Somebody who goes down a belief system hole that really offends you, like it doesn't well, have, you know. I have to say I have had the experience in my own family of having a member of my family become a, a Christian radical, really? Christian radicalized, yeah. and um, in the process came for me, mm-hmm. wrote me letters saying, you're going to hell, I think you're going to hell, and that sort of thing. And I, you know, he, they, he went to Bible college. Oh, dear. Um, and uh, I called my father and I said, do you really have to pay for him to go to Bible college? Can he just hate me for free like other brothers? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. why do we have to have this? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and began talking about the devil as though. In what way? As though he was an existing entity, person, yeah. you know, something, substance, actively thwarting um, his life. And I was like, should we get him somebody? Should he be seeing somebody? This seems really. You know, like religious belief is one thing, but believing in the actual existence mm-hmm. of the actual devil. And my father said at that in that moment, he said, in this family, we all get to believe what we want. And that really landed with me. He didn't mm. say it in a pointed way, but it was like 
I didn't throw you away mm. when you were honest with me about who you were. Mm-hmm. And this was at a time when gay people were being thrown away by their mm-hmm. families, you know, and like, and we're not throwing your brother away mm-hmm. because he doesn't believe the same, you know, mm-hmm. what we believe um, about this. And it was, it landed with me. I got it. Mm-hmm. I saw the point. I've had the experience now in the world of having been a lot of my life being the one saying the thing that everybody was offended by. Mm. You know, I was openly gay and said so and was frank about the whole subject, and that was not okay. Mm. It was not socially acceptable. It was not politically acceptable. Mm -hmm. It was not okay for most of my life. And recently, due to some great court rulings and some changes in our culture, the shoe is on the other foot. Mm. But... It has given me a perspective on people who are saying things that I think are offensive and that I don't agree with. Like, mm. I I don't spend a lot of time listening to them because it's clear I'm not going. I never watch the Fox Network. I just mm-hmm. I know it would just upset me, so I just don't put it on. I never listen to George Bush, George W. Bush, make a uh, a State of the Union address because mm. I knew I wouldn't agree with him. Mm-hmm. Like he was still the president, but I mm. wasn't going to agree with him. So. Why would I listen to him? Why would I ups- why would I choose to upset myself? So to that extent, it's a sort of mountain libertarian view, as right, you said. Right. Like it's like, well, you know, you get to do what you want to do. Um, I don't agree with you. The only time I ever really get upset is when somebody's opinion is about what I should be doing. Oh yeah, and then then I'm ready to fight about it. But mm-hmm. until then, I try to be patient with those other like I can't believe anybody believes in QAnon. That just seems beyond credulity to me. But people are allowed to believe what they're allowed to believe. I don't think it's less, it's not more incredible to me than some people's religious beliefs. I Mm -hmm. find those to be pretty fantastical too. And people are allowed to believe those things. So it is when those groups, and I think that group in particular is a good choice, starts to believe that I should change my behavior because of what they believe. Right. That's when... That we should decertify an election yeah, based on like, what they right, believe. Yes. Based on what you believe. That's when we start. That's when you've moved into a place where it's like, no, that's no longer okay with me. So it would be challenging for me to be, to have a family member who made, or a loved one, make that kind of choice. And it might well not be possible for me to continue the relationship in the same way if that was in fact if it was something like that mm-hmm. you know if it was that extreme i think we should overthrow the government right because i don't like the outcome of this because of this fantastical story about a cabal of evil satan worshiping child abusers or I, I don't know exactly but like it just seems so preposterous like Real life is difficult enough. Why make up shit to be upset about? I mean, absolutely. Okay, this, so this was an interesting take on the question from Deb G. She says, it would be difficult for me to forgive any crime against children. As I said earlier, that was a, a lot of responses. Yeah. But any discussion of forgiveness always brings to mind Eva Kaur. I was so fortunate to know her even slightly. She was a Mengele twin survivor and practiced the kind of radical forgiveness that belongs with saints and angels. Um, so I went on Wikipedia and looked Mangala? up who, who's it, Mangala, excuse me. Um, yeah. was a Romanian born, this is Eva now. Eva Kor was a Romanian born American survivor of the Holocaust. Along with her twin sister, Miriam, she was subjected to human experimentation under the direction of mm. SS Dr. Joseph 
Mengele. Mengele at the Auschwitz concentration camp in German-occupied Poland during World War II. Her parents and two older sisters were killed in the gas chambers at Birkenau. Only she and Miriam survived. She founded an organization called <sighs> CANDLES, which was an acronym for Children of Auschwitz Nazi Deadly Lab Experiments Survivors. My God. She founded that organization in 1984, and through this program located 122 other survivors with an aim to educate the public about eugenics, the Holocaust, and the power of forgiveness. After meeting Hans Munk, Kor received international attention when she publicly forgave the Nazis for what had been done to her. The story was later explored in the 2006 documentary Forgiving Dr. Mengele. She authored or co-authored six books and took part in numerous memorial services and projects. And that really speaks to the other, the underlying part of this question that is the most profound. Forgiveness. Like, forgiveness. Because choosing not to forgive anyone is choosing to carry them as your burden. Mm. Like forgiving other people is about freeing is about you. It is the it is ultimately the most self-interested thing you could do. Right. Because otherwise you're carrying a burden that is not yours. Mm -hmm. You are carrying whoever it is you are not forgiving. Yeah. On your soul, on mm -hmm. whatever. I I I don't I don't believe that it means everything's okay or you can come say, over yeah. to the house for dinner. What does forgiveness look like in your view? I mean, it can look like a lot of things, I imagine, but what it, what is what is the act the part of the act that brings the relief? It is letting them go. It is detaching from the person. Mm -hmm. I forgive you for this. This happened and you are forgiven. But I'm not having you over for dinner. But I'm not having you over for dinner. Right. We're not going to be best friends. I mean, depending on what it was. I might, depending on what it was, but you murdered my sister? No. No. I might find a way to forgive you, but we're not going to be friends. Right. We did a special recently, we did an episode of Southern Fried Homicide that ended with one of the daughters of the murder victim saying, I will never forgive him. And I thought of this then. Yeah, I will never forgive him. And it was, you know, that's her choice, but it was sort of like, so what does not forgiving look like? I mean, he's in jail. He's on death row. Every Good. day you think about this person but like, you hate. It's a personal choice to yeah. forgive or not to forgive. And it's like, I can't imagine. Um, it, it seems to imply a commitment to a level of obsession that is dangerous. I'm not judging this person. I don't know what I would do if my mother was murdered. Absolutely. You know, like, but and I get it. I would probably say, give me time to figure out how I fucking feel, you know, before you ask me if I've forgiven them or not. I mean, it's an interviewer's question. Clearly, right. they got thrust in her face. Do you forgive him? And and you you respond the way you feel in that moment. But but, but choosing not to forgive somebody is. Um, taking poison and expecting the other person to die. Right, yeah. Like, I just, that's the thing. Dolly Parton says, you know, your burden is a lot lighter if you discard all the grudges. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We could all learn from Dolly Parton. She's and saving she's, our asses with that vaccine she financed. Great. Yeah, She financed the vaccine, and she's doing terrific. So I want to be more like Dolly. Be like Bigger Dolly. Bigger hair. Another response via the Facebook page from Emma Gray. We found out that my father was abused as a child by a person who we were close to in the days after he, meaning the abuser, died. My father's mother knew, and she didn't care. We didn't know that she knew. She is, this is Emma writing now, an evil, soulless woman who is only interested in the monetary gain. Abuse of children is something that should not be forgiven, tolerated, excused, or brushed off because, quote, times were different by anybody for any reason. It is the worst crime imaginable. 
People who defend abusers are just as bad, if not worse, than the abuser. You know, there's an interesting thing here that I'm hearing in Emma's response, where that sometimes the um, the I will not forgive him position is a defensive response to somebody telling you to forget about the whole thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's clear that someone, th- this was about people sweeping something up under the rug that had never been addressed, which is different from I can't forgive someone who's on death row and has been convicted of the crime. You, you know, th- this is somebody saying that my anger and upset about this um, justifies us talking about it and addressing it in a way that it hasn't yet been addressed. So I think it's important to distinguish between those two kind of feelings. I, yeah, I, that is really, yeah, it is a terrible... I. Child abuse is something I can't really imagine. I can't imagine. If I think of the sweet little children that I know in my life, I can't imagine anybody hurting them. I can't imagine mm-hmm. wanting to hurt them. I, I just I can't I just can't imagine it. Mm-hmm. You know, sexual abuse of children is just incomprehensible. incomprehensible. I, I, I mean, I can't even I can't even imagine thinking of the two things in the same Mm-mm. breath. It I accept that it happens because people say that it has, but the idea of it is is so outside of my ability to conceive of. So yeah. it almost transcends um, I, any sort of reality that I have. I, I forgive. I I can't even believe that it happened. Mm-hmm. Like the other thing that I think um, might cue. Some sort of forgiveness is somebody's contrition, asking for forgiveness, Mm -hmm. I think can be a part of, you know, if somebody who's done a terrible thing to your family asks for forgiveness, that's a really powerful thing. The the, the Truth and Reconciliation Councils Mm -hmm. from South Africa come to mind. There was a, a documentary called Long Day's Journey, Long Night's Journey into Day, I think it was called. One of the most powerful things I have ever seen and what they actually did because um, the South African government did not want to divide people. They wanted to bring them together. They tried to look for conciliatory justice rather than retributive justice. Mm. And so if the people were willing, if the people who had committed, had been accused of, were willing to plead guilty to the crimes and come in and face the family mm. of the victims that they had, you know, beaten to death or whatever in the apartheid movement and the, and accept the family saying what they wanted to say to them, what they needed to say to them, that they could be commuted mm-hmm. or in some way had their sentence lessened or eliminated or whatever. But it was astonishing because they talked about what the families went through mm. in an effort to get to a place like apartheid was just beyond imagining. Um, mm-hmm. And the idea of somebody being abducted and beaten to death by a group of people because of the color of their skin and because mm-hmm. of where they were at a particular time of day and they weren't allowed to be there or whatever, because of the laws mm-hmm. of that particular country at that particular time is so horrific and then to think of confronting it with the people who actually did it and finding it as a way to I I, I saw it at a film festival I think it was a Sundance film festival thing or mm. something and I had to go outside 
Mm. Like at the end of the mo- the movie, I I made it through the movie, but sobbing, and I had to go and just sit. Mm-hmm. We were at a museum. I think we we're at the High Museum in in Atlanta. I think mm. that's where I saw it. Anyway, had to go outside and just sit mm-hmm. and wait till I could calm down enough to be with other people because it was so I was so moved by the power of those people, mm-hmm. the strength of those people to be able to say, "I forgive you." Wow. After that, it was uh, it was really it was really something that I I hope everybody will take a minute to see. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. Let's talk about the idea of making amends, because I think that can be part of it, too. You talked about the power of somebody asking for forgiveness. Right. But what about a discussion of what they're willing to do for forgiveness? You know, like I think there's the obvious example of I'm writing this right now in a story that I don't want to talk about too much yet because it's not been announced or whatever. But it is it is about, in part, a bully trying to make up for having um, harassed repeatedly a gay kid in high school. He's trying to to not just say, I, I'm so sorry and here's why I did it and I was fucked up, but to actually make amends for it. And I think that's um, a difficult conversation. You know, like, how do you, how do you make up for something like that? I think there's always the idea that you have to place yourself in the other person's hands. You have to say, what would make it better? Which is a terrifying proposition because they may say something that's just... Uh, you, something you can't do. Kill yourself. You know, if you've murdered my child, oh is, my God. Is there something I can do to make right. this right? Is there right? something I can do to make this right? This is a yeah. sort of spiritual principle that a lot of people talk about. But was it a piece of the documentary that you were just talking about long on Night's Journey into Day? Was there some sort of reparations or amends that the individuals made to the family? I don't family? recall that as being a part of it. I that was, yeah. It was, I don't recall it as being conditional. I think it was... I think the reparation was being willing to publicly on, you know, it was televised and filmed and it wasn't like mm-hmm. some secret thing. It was very public. You know, they had to admit what they had done and they had to ask for forgiveness from the families. Yeah, totally. And then the families could say whatever they want to and forgive them or not. So this public process, the potential embarrassment of it, the vulnerability of it was seen as the amends in some way. I think that I think was, so. Yeah. It was the, it was ultimately I think also the indictment of the system that they were representative yes. of. Yes. But it was very much about Yes, about saying, are you willing to admit that you were wrong and to ask for forgiveness yeah. from these people? Like, they get to say whatever they want to. They may not forgive you, but are you willing to do that? Mm-hmm. And then the, the part that moved me was, of course, the family's strength and responsibility yeah. response in those situations. But it began with that. So to that extent, there was um, there was amends, but 
it wasn't the sort of the, the the idea, the personal amends where you say to somebody, I have wronged you and is there right. a way I can make this right? With and you? I, I think what, what there's a lot of anger about in our culture, and maybe rightfully so, are the number of people who think that just getting up and making an apology is enough. You know, or just sort of unburdening yeah, themselves. I'm, sorry, your, I'm so really... sorry I fucked your boyfriend. I'll see you later. You know, stay sweet. Yeah, I've had literally yeah. people say that to yeah, me. Yeah, um, you know, and it's like, hey, I, you may have been nervous to make this apology, but that nervousness does not make up for what you did or the my favorite you did. Terrible apologies are, um, well, you shouldn't feel that way. Mm. I didn't mean to, um, to do the horrible thing that I've done to you, so you shouldn't feel that way. It's yeah. like... Well, you know, um, it's like I always say, yeah. fuck you. <laughs> uh, oh, that's a good one. We're going to put that on a shirt um, or a mouse pad. Yeah. So, uh, right. And I think we are drifting a little, well, not drifting. We're sort of journeying away from the original question, which was this idea that it, this was something you discovered about someone that you loved and you trusted and if they were passed away, there was really nothing you could say to them yeah, about it. No, that's one of those quandaries. So it's all you. It's all how you feel about the thing, and you making a decision about your own feelings. Just yeah, like I and it's head spinning. The yeah. idea of discovering that your dead father was Ted Bundy, right? You know, like what? Yeah, like I'm not sure how you, like the the Golden State Killer who was yeah. here recently. I think he has family. I think he went on and settled down and bought a house. And I know the BTK killer had a daughter who has gone on to write a book about discovering that her dad was the BTK I killer. I just, I mean, I don't know how you get to the other side of that kind of realization. And if it happens at a point where it's no longer possible to even talk to them about it, mm -hmm. like if they were still alive, my first response would be to go to them and say, is this the truth? Yeah. Like at least, you know, tell me if this is the truth or not. And if they're dead, you can't even know that. Then it's just somebody else's claim or maybe there's incontrovertible, you know, maybe it's on video or something. Mm -hmm. and there's no not proving it. I, I don't know. I mean, it's all this is hypothetical. So I think there are a lot of circumstances to affect that. But that would just be mind blowing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like forgiveness is is almost beyond the point. It's like acceptance. Yeah. Would be as challenging as anything. Like, do I accept that this actually that this is the reality that I was completely unaware of? Prior to this moment, it's like that movie Random Hearts, where the who is that they discover that the the two people discover that they're they're both married to different people, and they discover that their partners were cheating on them when the partners die together in a plane crash, taking a romantic getaway to get away from their spouses, and it's like how do it's about how they relate to each other. I was too yeah. young when I saw the movie; it was too mature for me. I should see it again because I was like, "What are these grown ups whining about?" <laughs> but it was again. Like, oh, they get to drive and spend money, right? and eat hamburgers, eat pork in hot weather if they want to. <laughs> <laughs> they can have donuts for dinner, frog. Anyway, but it, it's a, it, no. It's a, the concept is really like. How, and they're trying to relate to each other. They're like, should we get together? You know, it's this. But it's the discovery that somebody you loved and trusted had a secret life, essentially, because the crimes of this nature, of this magnitude that we're talking about here, suggest a secret life, a level to their identity that you were not aware of. Yeah. Like, you know, and I think there's a lot of, 
uh, you know, I know the parents of, I don't know if it's Dylan Klebold, one of the Columbine shooters, have had a really tortured journey of people saying, how could you not know, you know, that you're, this was your son? Right. And, you know, th- their answers have varied, you know, and, and I think that's true of the spouses of serial killers, the families of serial killers, you know. Like, sometimes you're going along in a marriage, you guys have been together for years, you're not up in everybody's business. You're not, you're not monitoring him or her 24-7. You guys are trying to have maybe parts of your own life. You always joke you want to marry a guy who loves camping because you don't love camping. He'll go I'm off and camp. never going camping, never. You can do your shit in the right. house while he's gone. You know, like go, yeah, these shopping sep- with the girls and go out for lunch and you go camping. Have a great time. These boundaries can sometimes be necessary in a close relationship, but if somebody is deceiving you and has a side that they don't want you to see, it is where they can hide the parts of themselves and their lives that you, they don't want you to see. I don't speak from experience because none of my loved ones have been serial killers. That you know God, of. That I know of. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, we all have a, there's, a, you know, the Billy Joel song that's stranger in ourselves, right? We all, there is a secret part of all of us. Like, yeah. we are as open with each other as it's possible to be, but the thought life, that the rich thought life you can imagine, when you consider how much I say, I think about 50% to 100% more than that all the time, nobody could possibly fully know who another person is. Well, and here's one thing about you that I think is really important to this discussion. <laughs> I don't know. What do they do? When, they drink when I make it about me. What do they do when I make it about you? Do they cook? Go cook something. I'm making it about Eric. Um, you are very authentic. There is not another. There's no side to you that no everybody doesn't see. Really, I don't think. I try not. And and I was n- I was closeted for not very long, but I was pr- I was pretty down low with the side that liked guys for a really long time until until I well 18. But in high school, I was not. I was really suppressing sides of myself, and I there was a duality to my personality when I emerged that I had to deal with, and I never used it to conceal criminal acts and I haven't murdered anyone. Good. But good choice. As a writer who tries to imagine himself into certain characters, I often you know, my second book, The Snow Garden, spoiling some things about it here, but a central so, Yeah, just everybody go ahead and drink. I, I don't I don't seem Stop to be a part cooking. of this conversation anymore. I'm talking about how <laughs> Eric really isn't enough like me, basically is where I went. But so yeah. There's there there's a character with a complete who has arrived at college with a completely assumed identity. Right. And I really connected with him in various ways, not not on at the order of magnitude. We all kind of do. Yeah, but also when you go to someplace new, you can remake yourself. That's what it was about. That's what I used to do when I was a kid. Well yeah, and, and you yeah so talk about it. Let's cook again and Eric's gonna make it about him. <laughs> we moved all the time. Right. We always went to different places and we didn't stay any place very long and so I would try out different versions of myself like, like how so accents like I'm gonna Dude, have a, what accents like I'm gonna have a cockney accent <laughs> in this place or, or whatever and hey, I'm gonna Eric, the I'm gutter going snipe. to make up sto- <laughs> stories about who I am or what yeah. I you know like just to see how that would play with people since I knew I wasn't going to see them very long and it was gonna have a chance to reinvent myself I made the decision in seventh grade I think that I was absolutely going to be who I was. And what did that mean? It meant that there was not going to be a different version of me, that I was mm. not going to pretend to be anybody I was not in order to... What brought you to that decision? I had I had gotten caught up in a one of those characters. Mm. I, there, was, there was a friend that I really liked. This was in sixth grade. 
um, there was a guy who I really liked, you know, like as a friend. Um, he was a great guy. I really enjoyed him. I really liked, but I had been involved in a fake version of myself, one of my mm. characters. Mm-hmm. And we didn't move. Mm. And I wanted to be friends with him, but it was coming to a place where it was not going to be possible for me to sustain the character that I was playing. Right. Um, and so I told him the truth, and he never spoke to me again. Oh, God. Wow. And it really hurt my feelings. I understood, mm. but I also really got a taste of the consequences right. of being dishonest about who I was. And so... I stopped. It wasn't really possible to be out. No. When no, I was in God, high school or whatever. It would have been a threat to your life. But right. I never, I didn't do anything that was about pretending to not be. To not be you. To not there be. There wasn't any sense of like yeah. you were going to, you know, that I was pretending to be some ladies man or something. There was there was none of that. Right. And that's what I think. Or, and I'm sure you were probably very generous with your opinions. You know, like I, I, you know, you were very outspoken. I believe it was Bridget Bowen who wrote in my, um, who wrote in my senior annual. I didn't know she even knew who I was. We were in homeroom, and that was it. And she said, "I have really enjoyed being in in high school with you. You keep the sons of bitches on their toes. <laughs> keep up the good work, or something like that." And I was like, "Wow, Bridget, <laughs> where were you for the last four years?" <laughs> Wow. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Being authentic, being authentically yourself. I didn't do that. I mean, I did it to a certain degree, but there was a lot of me I was hiding. Um, and I don't remember how we got or started. What you on. thought was concealed. I thought that it was everybody else knew I was Kupavac. Pretty everybody. much from Kupavac on. Kupavac is um, a play that I started in, what, well, I think it was about third grade, but I was in a school that didn't honor grades. They were considered competitive. This was Northern California. Right. And so there, we did a school play in which Daniel Cupid went on vacation and was replaced by a computer, because back then computers were big and evil. This was the 80s. It was like the war games period, the Cold War. Computers <laughs> were going like to kill us. This desk set with yeah. Spencer Tracy and Catherine <laughs> Exactly, but with a little gay third grader. <laughs> right. And I, my performance was, if Captured you on video. Did not see my performance as uh, coming back from my Hawaiian vacation with forty lays, a tropical shirt, long golden blonde hair, and throwing my hand out and saying "Stop!" I demanded, or something like yeah. that. Prancing out onto yeah. the stage, it was adorable. It was, adorable. but it was this cute little. But here gay comes kid. this gay child. Yeah. Um, anyway, but he wasn't a murderer, and that's what matters, and that's the end of this episode. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Buy our herbal remedies. Um, No, don't. We don't sell that shit. Well, we have really gotten off topic here. We've gotten off topic. Talking about Cubavac. We were we're we're talking talking about being honest about who you are and and the discovery that people in your life may not have been right. See, perfect save. I'm going to look back to. So I really I'm not going to read every response that was about child abuse, but because it was a theme. But Jessica Singleton had a fabulous one. Being set up for a crime I didn't commit, that is something that wow. she could never forgive. Wow, that's that's a pitch for a television series right there. Wow. Set up from the grave by somebody you trusted and yeah. loved. I have to say, I'm like, uh, that. I would be the Count of Monte Cristo mm-hmm. on, the, on that score. I love, like, revenge movies are among my very favorites. For those of us that are maybe not immediately familiar with the plot of the Count of Monte Cristo, <laughs> why don't you share it with us, Eric Schalkman? <laughs> 
Um, it's that it's basically that a man is set up for a crime and sent off to I don't know Devil's Island or wherever to um, whatever Skull Island, Skull Island, but yeah. you know is uh, stripped of his life and uh, is destroyed by the dishonesty of others and blamed for something he didn't do and. Um, he goes away and he either escapes from prison or whatever, but he becomes a an enormously successful man. I think he jumps off the boat on the way to Devil's Island and is presumed drowned, but manages to wash up on the shore and makes himself this incredibly rich, powerful man. And so once he's succeeded in the world and has uh, money and power and all of the, the weaponry that he needs, he returns to the community that uh, shunned him, found him, saw him as guilty unjustly and treated him so unkindly um, with an, under an assumed identity. He pretends to be the Count of Monte Cristo. I guess that's... And um, as such, uh, begins to exact his revenge on the residents of, mm-hmm. of the city. Like the woman he loved just married the man who screwed him over and I can't remember or is going to or mm-hmm. it's that sort of thing and it it's it's good it's not the best revenge piece out there because mm-hmm. it's older and and we get a lot more graphic now but like <laughs> but it's pretty good Eric likes his revenge gory oh yeah like okay that. So I, this is an opportunity for me to talk about my favorite trashy miniseries from the 80s, which I don't think you can get outside of Australia. It was what? in Australia. It was like The Count of Monte Cristo, but with women. And it was called Return to Eden. And the, and it's based on a novel that is out of print. I believe the author is British, but it's set in Australia. I, don't quote me on that. The But it was made with, I think... Since nobody can find it, no one will ever know. I went on Amazon, and it's one of those DVDs that won't play outside of a certain... It won't play in America okay. or something like that. It was very disappointing. It's a huge injustice. The premise is... It really sounds like it. There's this heiress who is sort of um, of a certain size, not a beautiful woman, and she is seduced by this like tennis pro type who is a total stud, and she's blinded to his true intentions, and he hooks up with... This other woman who I think may be the heiress's friend, and she's a hotsy totsy skinny mini whatever, and together they stage a boat accident and throw her to the crocodiles. And she survives a croc- an attack by multiple crocodiles, is found, I believe, by a plastic surgeon who is living in the outback. That really is good fortune for her. Who remakes her as a beautiful woman, like a fashion model. She returns to the estate that her Lothario murdering husband inherited, seduces him, destroys their marriage, destroys everyone. And there's one of the greatest scenes ever in a trashy miniseries, and I've seen them all, so I know what it is, where it is. There was one horse on the property that was the difficult, horrible horse that nobody could tame except for her. Uh And when she comes back in her new guise, thinking nobody's watching her, she goes out and the horse responds to her and allows her her to get on his back and she takes off on the horse and the old housekeeper sees her from the balcony and realizes it's her come back oh and she clutches her chest and it's this big dramatic scene and when I was like eight years old it was just the greatest thing I'd ever seen but it was that same plot it was yeah. the revenge plot it's like a cross between death on the Nile and she devil right <laughs> she devil right? Absolutely. love she devil the great part about this podcast is that we go from Count of Monte Cristo to she devil and we don't even bat an eyelash well they're basically the same genre they really are all stories have been told right no not yet i'm not done writing so i guess not um so i'm trying to i'm looking to see if we left out anybody's uh, answers i think that we kind of covered the 
playing field here. I don't know if we firmly established what would be too far for either one of us in terms of our friendship. I don't know if we want to establish that, but I'll stand by you, babe. How do? How about we leave? Yeah, leave I just it at that. don't see how. I just don't see how I couldn't. I just don't. I'm not sure what it could possibly be. Yeah. You know, I I would be saddened if you'd done something really terrible, but it wouldn't mean that I wouldn't still be there for you. I just it I wouldn't you, change. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, what would friendship or love be if yeah. it wasn't unconditional? Like, what does that mean if it if it's like except for right? Yeah. Well, then it's no longer unconditional. It's you know it's conditioned yeah. on as long as somebody pleases me, then I love them, and that that doesn't seem like love at all. Yeah, that's a hard one. It's a hard one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough question, and I, I think that the best answer is, you know, circumstance would be the big decider. Mm-hmm. Like, if something had, you know, like if you killed my sister, like, yeah. wow, where does that leave me? You know what right. I mean? Like, you would have to decide from 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 the circumstance of, of where you are, ultimately, but... I just honestly, with the people that you care about, they're the people that you care about. And I don't care about the people. I don't care about that many people. (laughs) I I care about people in a broader sense. Right. That kind of intense feeling about people. And and so it 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 wouldn't be it would not be a very easy choice. Mm hmm. You know, to to decide not to be there for them, I, I I can't imagine. It's harder for me to imagine not making the choice to be there, right? Than it is to imagine the same, other. Same for me. Same for me. I, I just think it's hard. I you know I could you can drive yourself crazy with it. Like who would you kill first? Your mother, or your father? That's you know kids do that to themselves in the, yeah. a long car yeah, ride. Fuck Mary, fuck Mary, kill. Yeah, fuck Mary, kill. But don't do that with your parents because yeah, that's weird. That's just um, weird. But, uh, you know, like it's it, it it is about it would take a lot. It would take a lot for me not to su- not supporting you as an individual and endorsing what you're accused of are two different things. You know, I don't I don't play that. Guilt oh, yeah. No, I would not game. be OK with necessarily yeah. the crime, but the person. Yeah, I would love the person, not necessarily what they had done. Absolutely. All right, enough of that incredibly uncomfortable question. Right, wow. Wow. In our next episode, Christopher and Eric's True Crime TV Club. We're going to have some fun. Well, no, we're not, actually. True Crime TV Club returns with an episode of 48 Hours entitled In the Name of Hate. That's what we're doing next. (laughs) But it'll be true crime. It will be, yes. It'll be back to fun. That's fun for me. It covers the shock and tragic tale of the murder of Blaze Bernstein, who was allegedly murdered because he was gay and Jewish. That's season 33, episode 45 or 48. I know, this is our show. No, we, we, we program our own show. It's not like the network's <laughs> making us do this. We thought this would be a good idea. Those bastards at TVBS. Well, oh, wait. In all seriousness, though, people have asked us to do this case in no, some way. I, I think it's so, a really, yeah. I'm, this is a really sad story out of California, and it will be. And as we always say with True Crime TV Club, you are not at all remotely required. And in fact, some of our party people say it is not advisable to watch the episode of television. We're going to serve it up for you in as much detail as you need to feel like you did watch it. Any final thoughts? Um, (laughs) the world is so full of a number of things I'm sure we shall all be as happy as kings wonderful All right. until then and forever after I'm Christopher Rice and I'm Eric Shaw Quinn and you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher Eric thanks This is TDPS.